Um, hi everyone, welcome back to the Graduate Guide. Today we have Asha Skaria Vitor with us, who is the founder of Swara. Welcome, Asha. Nice to have you here. How's Thank it going? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good. So we can start a little bit where tell us about yourself. You moved from India to the UK, which is quite a big jump. So how did you start off in India? Where are you from? What's your history there? Okay. Thank you so much for having me. You're it's uh, such a pleasure to be speaking to you. Um, a little bit about me. I'm from Kerala, uh, which is a state in the south of India. I come from a small town called Etumanur. So I was uh, born and brought up there till I was uh, 18. Then I mm. moved to Bombay to do my undergraduation. Um, I went to St. Xavier's College and I uh, majored in statistics. Uh, so in my three years studying in Bombay, I realized that um, these problems that existed in in Bombay, mm. um, I come from a pretty small town and you don't really see beggars on the road or um, or just the stark inequality that you st see in big cities like Bombay or even London. You don't see that in uh, a small town, right? Mm. So when I moved um, at such a young age to a city, uh, I saw like people sleeping on the road or like uh, the slums in Dharavi, which is one of the biggest slums in the world, uh, how that slum was di directly opposite one of the richest um, houses in the world. Mm -hmm. And this very like vast inequality really bothered me. And I wanted to do something about it, but I didn't really know like where to start, what to do. Uh, so after my undergrad, I joined this program called Gandhi Fellowship. Mm -hmm. uh, Gandhi Fellowship is like Peace Corps in the US or um, Teach for America. We also have Teach for India. Uh, like all these programs, Gandhi Fellowship is also for two years and uh, it puts uh, fellows. You have to go through an application process to be to become a Gandhi Fellow. But once you are a Gandhi Fellow, they give you um, these schools uh, to develop. So I was uh, placed in a city, in a district called Dungarpur, which is in the north of India, mm -hmm. in the state of Rajasthan, um, in the tribal belt of Rajasthan. So I was in this uh, tribal area working with four government schools, uh, trying to improve the education level of uh, students there. So this is right after my undergrad and I mm -hmm. was really excited to go there and change the world uh, in a way but um, as you can imagine as it is like uh, anywhere in the world um, it's especially true in tribal and rural areas in India government schools are heavily burdened and they're mm. very little resources so you can see schools where there are like 100 students and one teacher mm. managing them and this teacher is the uh, is doing everything from like admin to teaching to managing the cooking mm. um, that happens in the kitchen where there are uh, helpers for that but she has to coordinate the whole working of the school uh, and she's also the head headmist uh, like the principal of the mm -hmm. school uh, so you are working with uh, schools like this and as a Gandhi fellow, you're encouraged to look at the school and um, the problems you encounter within the uh, wider system that mm -hmm. it sits in. So if a 
a student is suffering in math, then you have to look at it like, does she have uh, clothes to protect her during winter? Mm -hmm. uh, is she unwell? Is there domestic abuse at home? So you have to like look at uh, it within a system also. You have to look at numbers, how many students are dropping out at which class in this particular school. So it is a Gandhi Fellowship really opened my eyes mm -hmm. to uh, how like social impact um, has to to really change the world you have to look at it from a very like mm -hmm. entrepreneurial holistic holistic mm -hmm. um, lens um, so that's a Gandhi fellowship is basically mm -hmm. was my introduction to entrepreneurship and um, I started working with the community during my two, two years in Dungarpur and I started Swara uh, basically um, as an Instagram page mm -hmm. in 2018 and the idea was to talk about the women in villages, how mm -hmm. there is this vast um, talent that is just being untapped, that mm -hmm. is left in rural parts of India. Because the thing is, like, India is, at the end, like, patriarchal in nature. That means uh, women are the primary caregivers, which is the same everywhere in the yeah. world. But um, because of this idea of who... Uh, uh, women being at home taking care of the family taking care of elders what happens is um, uh, so because of a lack of jobs in rural areas uh, ambitious talented skilled men uh, migrate to cities in search of jobs and they leave behind their young talented uh, wives to take mm -hmm. care of the houses so these women basically run the village they're strong they're so capable they're so funny and I got to spend mm -hmm. a lot of time with them and I was like they are so cool yeah. and they should be absorbed, not absorbed into the workforce. Basically, they want to earn, an, earn a living mm -hmm. and they are skilled, uh, but there are no jobs for them to do. So how can we create jobs for them? Mm -hmm. And Swara started as a fashion brand because every house has a tailoring machine in rural areas. Um, and the idea was that by selling clothes made by these women, we also sell their stories and their mm -hmm. potential to a market that actually has the capital to invest in rural areas to build more jobs for women in industries mm -hmm. other than fashion. Um, that is a long answer. Yeah, no, that's but... good. That's good. Like, lots to talk about. Have you always had an interest in fashion or why was that something that came as an idea to as a potential, you know, job creation for, yeah. for the women that you saw in poverty? I mean, um, no, I, I don't really mm. have much interest. I didn't have much interest in fashion. It was a very like, um, fashion has the lowest barrier to entry. Mm. You can start it with almost no money. We started with a hundred pounds, like 10,000 rupees, oh, okay. just to like buy some cloth. Mm -hmm. And it was all about creative marketing. So it's mm -hmm. like, as long as you can design something new and something that connects with the customer, um, you can build a great brand, a fashion brand. Mm -hmm. So basically it's because of the low barrier to entry coupled with the fact that almost every house in Dungarpur had a tailoring machine. So um, skill yeah. development programs is a huge way of how the government and corporate social responsibility uh, wing of uh, companies uh, think that they're going to change the world, you know, don't don't give a man fish, teach them how to fish sort of thing. So like uh, they offer a lot of skill development programs in rural areas and the most coveted program is tailoring. Most people, most young women go and enroll in a tailoring course because it's free and at the end of it they get a loan uh, with 
almost no interest fee uh, to set up their own boutique. But that means like almost like every alternate house has a tailoring machine and is like registered mm. as a boutique. So no, nobody really earns money from it. They just make clothes for their house. So um, why fashion? Why did we start mm-hmm. Swara as a fashion brand? It's because not because of my interest. It was basically mm. the talent that was most easily available mm. and the fact that uh, it was so uh, cheap to like, it was mm. so inexpensive to start a fashion mm. brand. And we were sure we had a unique idea. Nice. So when you started it as an Instagram page, you said in 2018, yeah. what were some initial responses? Like, oh my God, what happened? It was year? amazing. Mm. So like uh, the hypothesis was that there's a growing demand in India uh, for ethical and sustainable fashion. In 2018, it was not like a popular topic in India. Mm. Uh, I think like there was more conversation in the UK about it. Fashion revolution, I believe, started from the UK. Uh, they were talking about it um, because of this uh, fire um, incident that happened in Bangladesh yeah, in 2014. So there was a lot of uh, conversation about it in developed developed countries mm-hmm. uh, but in India that conversation was still nascent and um, the hypothesis is that that conversation is now nascent but like it is going to like uh, increase in popularity mm-hmm. these young people are gonna uh, start wanting uh, ethical sustainable fashion at affordable prices mm-hmm. so there was still like niche brands in India who were selling clothes for like um, prices that weren't a Uh, affordable for the people uh, who would want ethical fashion mm-hmm. basically young students or like uh, people who had just started working young people were woke and they will want to buy it but like mm-hmm. at an affordable price point so that was our hypothesis so uh, we had it was based on like circles we were talking in also gandhi fellows tend to be the young woke uh, people mm-hmm. um, in like india my cohort had like 150 students and not students fellows and mm-hmm. they were from all over the world uh, all over india and they were like highly educated and um, they had this language of like systems thinking and like how do we change the world uh, so i but we had this hesitation like are we just saying this because like we are in this echo chamber and we mm. think that this is going to be a trend in India. So we weren't very sure when we launched the brand. But like it took off really, really well. Like fashion schools, um, mostly from students. Mm, uh, nice. A lot of students uh, picked up on the conversation uh, we were having on Instagram. A lot of people applied for internships. Mm. So at that time, we were also Gandhi Fellows and we were doing it as a project project. Uh, we have to go to school from like nine to not sort of like nine to five every day. So we had a full time job and this mm. was like our side project. When I say we, I had a group of Gandhi fellows, like mm-hmm. we stayed together, we worked together and they helped a lot with my project. They all had their independent mm-hmm. projects. This was mine, but um, I couldn't have done it without them. So um, once we launched it, people wanted to work with us and I was like, this is mm-hmm. gaining, this is way beyond like what we expected. And we were right. Like now, if you look at India, everybody is, uh, there's still that hesitation to pay more for ethical fashion or sustainable fashion. But I think that's everywhere. Like mm-hmm. they want sustainable, but at the same price point as fast fashion. Uh, but there is a lot more demand uh, mm-hmm. for this. 
So did you pilot it in one in one village and then expand that, or was it is it still kind of in very in one community that yeah. makes it brand? Oh, uh, we kind of changed the uh, business model. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was like a few tailors we worked with in mm -hmm. Dungarpur who did like the sampling. Everything was like very uh, high at high touch point because you have to mobilize the women first, con not convince them. Yeah, convince, initially to, we had to convince them to try mm -hmm. new things. They're like, who would wear this shirt? Like, um, when you think about this area, you can Google it, Dungarpur. The stuff mm -hmm. they wear is not like the stuff we wear. Yeah. They would, uh, the tailors we initially worked with, they knew how to wear, uh, make stitch blouses, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is like crop top sort of things that you wear under a sari and under skirts. That is mm -hmm. something you wear under a sari again. So that's the only thing they, they tailored. So when you ask them to make like a shirt or like a wrap pants, they're like, what is this? Yeah. This is like not something people would buy. Mm -hmm. So we had to convince them to like kind of try something new. Then upskilling is very important because they are used to tailoring for uh, people next to them or their mm -hmm. kids. The kids are not going to ask about the quality of the stitches. So we had to like upskill them, get them to a standard that an urban, uh, that customers expect now. So we are competing with H&M at that mm -hmm. time we said that we are going to compete with fast fashion because yeah. that's what everyone is buying um, but now we have shifted a little bit uh, the business model we work with this has gone to through a few iteration we realized this whole mobilizing women upskilling them and then managing their day-to-day -day and then sampling new products mm. and selling it that is like every point of the um, supply chain like front end and back end is being catered to by one company that is not efficient mm -hmm. to scale up so now we um, focus on collaborating with uh, artisan groups who already do the back end and we focus on mm. uh, selling it and also selling the story of the women we work mm. with and we still have this dream that eventually we want to get into like new sectors mm -hmm. where we can employ uh, rural women. I'm very passionate about tourism, rural tourism. I think uh, Gandhi Fellowship changed my life mm -hmm. and we need to have more programs that does like thoughtful, um, that facilitate thoughtful interaction between people from different uh, mm -hmm. backgrounds and different geographies. It really like opens your mind yeah. and makes you makes life so much more colorful. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually interested to hear a bit more about the Gandhi Fellowship because I imagine when you were back in studying statistics at university, it was more theoretical and yeah. you weren't really like on the ground. But yeah. the Gandhi Fellowship really turned you into an entrepreneur, I would say. So what skills do you think you learned during that fellowship or what do you think was very different from university being such a young person? Like what were some important lessons for you? Yeah. Um, so many, so mm. many to uh, talk about. So Gandhi Fellowship, uh, like I said, I was in charge of four schools. Uh, when I say in charge, it's more like uh, you go into these schools and you're supposed to act like a consultant to the headmaster and basically guide him or her uh, through like managing the schools, like whatever problems arise, problems come up day to day in the mm -hmm. school, you would kind of help them devise solutions. The idea uh, that you work with a person for two years is that when you leave the ecosystem, like it doesn't disrupt it. Like mm -hmm. you're, they don't act. You, you're not a clut. You're not the solution. Mm -hmm. You're just facilitating for solutions with the resources that's available in the same environment. Um, I went into Ga Gandhi Fellowship when I was twenty. 
and the average age of a headmaster is like 50 so like you're talking to someone who's 30 years ahead mm-hmm. of you in in their career and you have to convince them also you don't have any authority as a gandhi fellow like legally it's a partnership you have with the indian government to allow mm-hmm. you to be in that school but there is no requirement for the headmaster or the staff to listen to you so there's a lot of like trust building that happens so you have to gain their trust mm-hmm. uh, for them to start even listening to your suggestions or give you an opportunity to say anything and like i said it's all schools are resource strapped in these areas um like i said one mm-hmm. teacher teaching 100 students so for you to be useful like it took months uh, it, it's very um when i was 20 and like beginning uh, i wanted to change the world and that's why i signed up for gandhi fellowship put myself in this difficult place so you're like itching to do things mm-hmm. but you're not supposed to do things you're supposed to stand back and just like absorb and listen and to be most effective i think like i needed to learn how to listen and just be like okay don't give solutions don't act just like mm-hmm. and also like keep your emotions in check because it's very easy to blame that one teacher like uh, she might not she might have a temper issue she might like there was um, this is illegal but there was still like teachers hitting kids mm. and like you really i mean obviously you can say stop and you can complain but more more than that you need to step back and ask like why does this happen what are mechanisms when you leave what are mechanisms you can put in place so that it doesn't happen and you should always look at your four schools as uh very small percentage of the rest of the schools in india mm-hmm. so like if this is happening here it's definitely happening in like thousands of schools so mm-hmm. why is it still happening even though it's illegal to hit kids and um, what can we do how can we create like thing things to um, have accountability so that to um, for teachers not to hit kids mm-hmm. and keep in mind about that there are Uh, always going to be like resource constraints and just like what mm. is there so i think it makes you humble mm-hmm. and it teaches you patience it uh, te- it taught me how to like empathize with people who are like completely different from me like the teachers parents students um and it teaches you like a lot of courage mm. to like take action um at some point you should take action because it can be very paralyzing like mm-hmm. the it can be very overwhelming that nothing can ever change in this place um so it takes courage and hope to like imagine a better future and still like act so i think like it, it, the two years was very very frustrating mm-hmm. but now i can yeah. like step back and because you can't change like it paralyzes you sometimes but i'm very happy that like i got mm-hmm. to do swara and you know kind of yeah. have some impact and continue that mm-hmm. but the lessons you learn i think you need to look at it as a 10 year 20 year journey as a gandhi fellow so mm-hmm. like it is all the learnings that you have had and how will you bring it back and how will you uh, reach like hopefully reach positions of power so that you can influence decisions without like just looking at numbers looking at like that person who's sitting in that school mm. um and this exists in any system mm. if you think about competitors that you maybe have or like other community projects like that that didn't work out for some reason do you think it was those trust 
building skills that you've gained from the Gandhi Fellowship to have the patience to do that? Or like what made you power through even if you had felt there was pushback from people or people didn't want to tailor like the clothes that you wanted? Or how did you navigate that as a really young woman? Yeah. Marlene, I think uh, <laughs> the struggle exists even yeah. today. I don't think it's like I've solved it. Mm. And I think like every, like especially with the model that we are going in with now, which is where we partner with artisan groups, where we are trying to uh, sell more of their mm -hmm. products and give them like, ev I think it is helping me every day, but it's always a struggle to establish those relationships. Um, and uh, if you ask me like other projects that failed, I think like, um, I have tried a lot of projects in the Gandhi Fellowship. This is just mm -hmm. one of like 10 projects that I can list now that I tried and like actually implemented, but it did not work out. And I invested way more energy <laughs> and like time uh, into building those um, uh, those projects uh, than I did. Um, I started Swara in February mm -hmm. uh, 2018. My okay. Gandhi Fellowship ended six months later. Mm -hmm. So before that, for like one and a half, uh, years before that I was launching and failing and launching and failing mm -hmm. and uh, the longest I did was the tourism one the rural tourism one where um, the idea was uh, that we'll have a chain of uh, homestays run by rural mm -hmm. women where it'll be like an experiential homestay mm -hmm. like um, uh, a small version of Gandhi fellowship where students or like young professionals young people can come and have a two-day program where they live uh, the life in the village, mm -hmm. um, authentic life, and um, the women will run it. Uh, I worked on that for almost a year, mm -hmm. and it didn't work out because uh, Dungarpur as a place uh, did, did not have much content online. So it's really hard to build trust. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a whole, like... It, it's something that like uh, the political leader of that place should take up. It's not something like a, a visiting Gandhi fellow who's mm. there for two years can take up and do. Swara as a fashion brand was also like a marketing idea for the mm -hmm. uh, rural uh, homestay because we're like, okay, to uh, create trust for this place, we should launch a fashion brand. That'll be like a side thing. We'll just launch the fashion brand and build that trust. And once we started the fashion brand, started looking into this marketing mm -hmm. idea, we realized it's a whole like whole business mm -hmm. and it requires like a huge team and stuff. Um, yeah. But initially it was a marketing idea for the rural homestay and we invested a ton. I mean, I invested a lot of time and I was so passionate about it. We had an Instagram page again mm -hmm. for that. I had like a few uh, friends come and like test out this idea. Uh, we got uh, local like uh, villagers uh, ready to invest money. This is like their life mm -hmm. savings. They wanted to invest in uh, converting their house into a rural homestay. This is like uh, the converting means building a toilet that is usable because mm -hmm. toilets we are talking very tribal. Yeah. Uh, there weren't proper toilets that people could use and nobody's going to come from cities to a mm -hmm. place where there are no toilets. Even though like authentic means like authentic and yeah. comfortable <laughs> <way>. yeah. <laughs> Which is totally yeah. understandable. Um, so we creating that thing and seeing how much people wanted mm. to change their circumstances was very motivating. But as a leader, as, as someone who mobilized them and gave them hope, I felt like... I failed mm. 
and when i started swara actually like i was almost defeated it was like the last thing probably mm-hmm. i would have done at gandhi fellowship um so like i think uh, swara failed not failed but like we had a lot of setbacks and it mm-hmm. was very easy to mm-hmm. uh, throw in the towel at any point um but it's just that you mm-hmm. you hope that things will be better and then you act mm-hmm. with that hope how do you think you look at failure now like you know when you were younger it was like obviously a setback for you but if you think of from a student perspective you know students fail everywhere like at uni when applying to jobs like things don't work out so how do you look back at that experience and how do you see failure failure now yeah um that's a very interesting question mm. because i think i'm i it's not like i've evolved into a per, into a perfect person dealing no, with no, failure no. <laughs> yeah or like um how have i gotten better at dealing mm. with failure that's a good question i think um I think you need to be okay with failing at um at things mm. without changing like the end goal or just um what I lacked I think before is the bigger picture mm-hmm. when the rural homestay thing didn't work out um I think I kind of felt defeated but it was just not, not the right time mm-hmm. uh, it was just not I was not ready to take up that at that time it's it's all like uh, you have to look at it in a timeline mm. people are um, i think i was uh, um short sighted in a way mm-hmm. things seem so much more urgent when you're younger uh, you, it has to be done within 6 months within one year but maybe like this is something that will happen in um in a few years so I, i'll tell you something else um before uh the rural homestays uh, i did this project uh with students uh, uh called an exchange program mm-hmm. between private school and government school students so there was one private school in the district of dungarpur which were like uh, really um well these students went to it had a computer lab it had all these things and uh, an exchange program uh, between those students and students in the government school uh, who don't have electricity mm-hmm. so that was like a stark difference it's like real proper like um exchange uh, they wouldn't meet as equals anywhere else mm-hmm. in probably in their life so um that program was amazing but we couldn't and i tried a lot to scale yeah. it up uh, we uh, there was a pitch competition with within gandhi fellowship where we got to the final stage but we never succeeded uh that is 2017 and, and i had to wrap it up like couldn't expand it uh and this summer we are actually doing mm. something similar to oh, that nice. uh, with yeah. laidlaw foundation for like 12 scholars from around the world they're coming down to rural parts of india working with our women and really like immersing mm. themselves for one and a half years so this new project that swara is doing is like an intersection between the rural homestays and um mm-hmm. the exchange program so i feel like it has come full yeah. circle nice yeah sometimes things that don't work initially they do work in later on in a different form that's for sure so then in your personal journey you decided to move to the uk which is obviously yeah. very different from india and quite a different step so tell us how how did you make this decision or yeah. why did you feel like you wanted to emigrate and live somewhere else for for a bit or 
whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm not yeah. sure the, the how long. How long? <laughs> how long? <laughs> but um, I, I'll, I'll uh, yeah. So um, I I was running Swara for like three and a half years when I decided mm-hmm. to uh, pursue an MBA in the UK or apply for it. So um, we had, again, I learned about, so I did an MBA at Oxford and mm-hmm. I learned about uh, the MBA at Oxford. I, MBA was not even something I thought about um, when I was doing my undergrad. Uh, but I had somebody from um, a side business school doing an MBA uh, there who had uh, interned with Swara. So mm-hmm. she had interned with us for three months and she was brilliant. And I loved like how she um, saw saw the world like I did. So there was a debate when I had um, started Swara and I wanted to register it as an entity. And uh, a lot of people who was part of my Gandhi Fellowship cohort was like, it should be an NGO, like a non-profit because you're doing something for the mm-hmm. women. It should be a non-profit. And then I had like people from my undergrad or another um, circle of friends who were like, it should definitely be a for-profit business and you should like hire people, uh, mm-hmm. hire uh, like a production company to make your clothes and just, you know, scale up, uh, scale it up as a proper fashion mm-hmm. brand. And I believed uh, in the intersection of both, like a, a for-profit social enterprise. Mm-hmm. And um, this um, a, a Gayatri Balan, that's her name, who uh, interned with Swara and consulted for us, she had the same idea about like business, like business uh, is should be a tool for good and it's they have like a so, social obligation and you can register and you should register it as a for-profit business and then have uh, mm-hmm. social impact embedded into the business model and I loved like everything she said and she gave language to like things I had like vague ideas about um, so I uh, when I thought about, she worked with us in the beginning of Swara in the first six months, but like three and a half uh, years later, Swara had reached a point where it was running well. I had a team working on it and I realized I was stagnating as a leader. I was like lacking uh, new ideas. I had done like small courses in between where like weekend programs, especially one run by the Chicago uh, University mm. um, they had like this center in Delhi uh, and they had run a course. So I um, I loved learning new ideas and I felt like I was not mm-hmm. doing that anymore. So I applied uh, for the MBA here. Um, but like, I won't say I regret it, but it was the wrong time. Timing is yeah. everything. <laughs> it was the wrong time yeah. because like when I came uh, to the UK, like India uh, as a... Um, it, India as a country underwent like a huge change Um, direct-to-consumer brands started like Mm. popping up so much and it just um, we kind of lost like our edge as a Mm -hmm. direct-to-consumer sustainable ethical business and we did like basically we missed that like really big wave Um, but uh, uh, but I think it's just you need to like pivot and like innovate Mm. again and we are in that stage now like uh, we are doing things that we are doing uh, we are growing but Mm. we are still like building our muscle to catch the next wave and look out for like what is the new innovation we have to be part of Mm. nice and as a last question what do you think is up next for you personally but also for Swara where do you see it grow 
Um, and also maybe you can think about like looking back when you were a student or a Gandhi fellow, like what what are some of like the key takeaways you think you wish you knew back then that are now that you now have that to able to do something like this to run a company? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, what I wish I knew, I wish I had started like entrepreneurship when I was in school. <laughs> yeah. Like I think entrepreneurship is the greatest teacher. I mm. um, I learned by doing. I realized that after mm-hmm. doing things in Gandhi Fellowship, I was very bored in undergrad. And like um, I realized uh, I did so many courses while I was doing Gandhi Fellowship when I encountered problems. Mm-hmm. Um unhappy teachers unhappy students so like learn more about um, positive psychology how do you create like these things habits that create that Mm -hmm. positive psychology and then like learn about like institutional organizational change like how do we create that change uh, inside a school I think there is a big mismatch between like uh, people who do and people who um, study uh, who research things and there has to be a uh, uh, intersection so um to do my mba i mba i got a scholarship from the school center for social entrepreneurship this is based uh, with inside business school i'm consulting for them mm-hmm. now and they have this theory of bringing practitioners and researchers because um uh, with the help of research you can do so much more yeah. efficient uh, practice especially in the mm-hmm. field of social impact because I think businesses and for-profit businesses do a lot more like equipping themselves with whatever is the latest technology Mm -hmm. but social innovation not that much so um, I think like um, if I had if I had known how much like entrepreneurship can teach me Mm -hmm. I would have um, tried tried more businesses good and just to pick up on the last part what do you think in a year from now where you're going to be with Sara what is your main aim? Aim, yeah. I think um, I think we want to work with at least a hundred uh, artisan groups, mm-hmm. uh, affecting like hundreds of uh, women artisans in the next one year. And um, I hope to have like some strong international partners mm-hmm. and bring it to the UK in a big way. We did um, we did do the first fashion show. We were part ah. of the first fashion show at the Oxford Union. Um, which is like a huge milestone mm. uh, and we do sell we do ship internationally but we want to create a collection for the UK summer that is coming up and <laughs> expand good I'll be the first one to <laughs> buy it nice great. thank you well thank you for coming it sounds really incredible thank you everyone thank you Asha and see you next time bye bye <laughs>